0: You're listening to In Technology, your source for trends about security, sustainability, and technology.
1: Over the past four or five years in the rail industry, security is considered part of safety. So it means that in order to be safe, you also need to be secure.
2: Hi, and welcome to the In Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Garrison, and with me as always is my co-host, Camille Morehart, And today we have a very special guest, Mickey Schiffman. He is a veteran leader in the development of complex cybersecurity projects with over 10 years of experience in software engineering, research, and management. And prior to co-founding Silas, Mickey served as a cyber researcher and an RD leader in the Cyber R&D Division of the Israel Defense Forces Elite Technological Unit. He was named Forbes Israel 30 Under 30 in 2020. So welcome to the podcast, Mickey.
1: Hello, Tom. Hi, Camille. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: Today, we're going to talk about something that most people are sort of interested in but don't know much about, and that is Trains and security associated with them, which I thought was just a fascinating topic. So, Mickey, can you give us a little bit of just background about the rail industry with regards to security, the kind of things you need to worry about?
1: Just as a quick background on what happened in the rail industry in the past over 150 years uh, of existence. So trains and the systems that operate rail networks have moved from being super mechanical, old fashions, all rely on low tech technologies to digital autonomous and also much more effective. That happened by introducing lots of controllers, computers, machines, wireless technologies that are now effectively controlling the entire rail network. So there's a lot of technology that is out there for optimization and for safety, and that's something that happened in the past 20 to 30 years, and I think that in the last five to 10 years, you've seen more and more introduction of those technologies to the rail networks that we know, and those technologies are now very sophisticated and enable lots of function, and it's all computerized. That's, in a nutshell, what happened with this industry.
0: So I'm curious, where are most of these sensors? Are they on the trains themselves or are they on the rails or where they cross streets, intersections, etc.?
1: Yeah, so the short answer is everywhere on the infrastructure as well as on the trains themselves. So some examples, you have technologies that are now in charge of controlling train movements and they're part of the rail infrastructure but they send wireless commands to the trains and according to those wireless commands the trains are moving or stopping and also they can determine what's going to be the speed. You have technologies that are completely computerized that are in charge of braking of trains. They are within the trains themselves and these technologies can of course cause the train to stop or not to stop accordingly. There are always some fail-safe mechanisms the overall trend is that you have more and more technology that is now responsible for critical functions within rail systems.
0: I'm thinking about some of these old Western movies where there's train heists. And one of the main things is they have to replace the exact amount of weight that's in the cargo when they're removing cargoes. So I'm just wondering what kinds of things are measured. Is weight measured? And you know, if you're putting graffiti on the side of a train... Does the company know about it already? Are they basically seeing all that happen? <laughs> How aware are our are, are rail systems as to what's on them or who's touching them?
1: So there are various sensors that are now introduced to notice those things. Some of them take into account weight and some take into account different physical interactions that there are with the trains. So yes, there are like many sensors. You also have things that are on the track sides and are responsible for ensuring that people don't get into the tracks.
2: What about technologies about the the cargo that's on the train? Are there those types of technologies as well?
1: Right. Effectively, the way it works is that the technologies I've mentioned before, are responsible for first of all safety that's the most important part and by safety basically means the trains need to stop or to move whenever it's allowed to do it and that's the base that's what you try to automate first on top of it you try to optimize for efficiency efficiency means for example it can be electrical efficiency of the network uh, it can be timetables or anything that is on top of the safety layer. So that takes an assumption of a safety layer and adds another level of optimization. And other than that, you have different IoT sensors and things that are being introduced as technologies. So in cargo, you have various logistic systems that are being introduced for more logistic purposes and are part of the equipment there. In passenger trains, you have passenger information systems, displays and cameras that are now part of a modern train. A train, by the way, can have sometimes thousands of connected assets on it. So a single train will have thousands of assets connected to a train network. It happens in many types of trains.
0: So how do you keep the sensors on the infrastructure of the train and the rail system itself safe when there's other kinds of wireless sensors that are potentially riding on the train as well, be it humans with their cell phones and laptops, or be it third-party cargo shipments that are on the train monitoring their own contents?
1: So first, what train operators are typically doing They're starting from understanding what they have designed within their trains. And Camille, you're right. Each train is being designed with different sets of systems. The basic are, of course, the critical systems, the ones that are required for operating the train. And there are other systems as well. Typically, there is some level of segmentation between the systems, although we've seen that these are not always maintained. So, just as an example, We've already seen a major train operator that wants to impress passengers with how fast are the trains, and they're doing it by connecting the critical systems that control the speed of the train to the passenger information systems that are effectively connected to the internet. So that's an example. But one of the concepts that of course, being applied is segmentation. And on top of segmentation, which is not always effective because it's very hard to maintain over time there is this notion of visibility and understanding what you have there. And that's what many trade operators are doing to map the different sensors and systems that they have on their networks.
0: Where are the weakest points in a rail system? I always would think it's this intermodal kind of transport where you're actually loading you no know, containers off a ship onto a train where two systems are coming together and there's some sort of a transfer transition there. But where are some of the more vulnerable points? Not, not to set it up for somebody who's interested in attacking, but like what kind of areas, you know, is there a lot of focus on securing?
1: First, of course, yeah, the, the goal here is to look at it from the perspective of understanding what are the potential threats. And one thing I can say is that over the past four or five years, security is considered part of safety within most of rail companies. So it means that in order to be safe, you also need to be secure. So systems that were in the past not really secure because they were developed just as safety systems, and security wasn't part of the process, wasn't part of the development lifecycle, they are now more secure, and there are also standards uh, that have been built to support it and help builders of equipment to achieve a more serious level of security. And back to your question, Camille. So there are weak points, and there are also like the impact. I guess the weakest points, of course, are always the ones with external interfaces to the outside world. So outside world can be internet, can be some passenger-facing applications, or can be third-party modes of transport or users of the network, like cargo systems. And at the same time, you can also think of it of what. A threat actor will try to achieve and then you get to the first set of systems that i discussed uh, and the interfaces between them are the interesting ones to explore like how can one get from those weak points to the critical points and, and that's what's important when doing a security assessment or analysis of a real network
2: so can you talk about the human aspect as well because there's also a human being at least one human being on that train that's up in the front right that's uh used to be the, my dream job as a kid, like I wanted to be an engineer. But what role does the human being on the train play? Are they just sort of there to babysit? Or do they play an active safety role in addition to all the sensors?
1: In some systems, there are more babysitting. But in almost all of the systems, whether they're autonomous or not, even when the computer makes some decision, typically the human being can override it somehow. So there is a role also to the to the people. I can say that in the US, especially in the freight rail side or the passenger rail, the intercity rail, there is now a mandate for positive train control. And that ensures that locomotive drivers, even if something happens to them, the train will stop when it's supposed to stop. And that happened after a major accident. Yeah. In transit systems, you can see some autonomous systems. You can see, by the way, some of them in the airports. Many times you see a train that crosses terminals. So these systems are called automatic people movers, and they're completely autonomous. You might have someone who's dispatching it, but you don't have a human being who's operating the train itself. On transit systems, especially the new ones, you have a concept or standard called CBDC, communication-based train control. And that's, again, another standard that aims to make as much as possible of the train control automated and controlled from the track side.
2: So I'm familiar with other types of infrastructure attacks that have been in the news, you know, where power grid was attacked or whatnot. But honestly, I can't recall ever hearing about a train system in some way, being hacked, does it happen? And and if it does, like, can you tell us what was the scenario and what was it that was attacked?
1: Recently, in the Russia-Ukraine war, trains were attacked, and they were responsible for cargo, or more correctly, uh, for military supplies. So, trains in Belarus got attacked by hacktivists. And those activists they took over the dispatching system of trains and disrupted the network and made sure that the trains will not be able to travel. Uh, those dispatching systems are essential because they control, of course, the scheduling, and they're responsible for moving the trains from one point to the other. So there wasn't a safety incident over there, but there was a massive disruption to the system. It also happened, especially in the past, Two or three years, we're seeing dramatic increase since the start of COVID in attacks against trains. I guess somehow related also attacks about other types of critical infrastructure and other types of systems, but we're seeing increase in the attacks against rail companies. Many of the rail companies in the world reported they've been attacked at some level. Railways are typically critical infrastructure within their countries, and there is no lot of motivation to report such things to the public, but Apart from that, there are lots of now requirements to report to regulators when we're seeing that it's happening around the world.
2: Have there been attacks that have either caused a derailment or caused a a safety issue, other than just maybe an annoyance here or there, but are there major attacks that maybe I've just missed or, or have we so far been saved from this kind of attack?
0: Or would we know? Like you said earlier, Mickey, like maybe these derailments we hear about are attacks, but they're not being reported that way. How do we know?
1: That's a good question. And I think that the would we know question is very important. Uh, And I think companies around the world are working more on the would we know thing. So until a few years ago, companies wouldn't have probably any visibility into what's happening with their systems they will only get the outside impact of what's happening. Many of the cyber incidents, especially in the critical infrastructure space, they many times look like technical malfunctions. And these technical malfunctions can be a result or cannot be a result of a cyber attack. Just as an example, we've seen an operator that received the software update and the breaks or the electronic brakes stopped working after the software update. So would you say it's necessarily... like You need to trace it back all the way back to the development cycle to understand whether that was actually something malicious or something that is benign. Someone just made a mistake. That's part of the challenge when you deal with these type of consequences. It's not always easy to attribute it to a cyber or to operational malfunction. Um, because many times these things look really similar.
2: Yeah. And uh, the reason I'm asking is, you know, I know we're not talking much about cargo per se, but when you do think, factor in the cargo on some of these things, they're carrying some pretty nasty stuff sometimes. And, right. and it's either flammable or it's, you know, it, it could be construed as a bomb. You know, if, if you derail the thing at high speed and whatever else, you're going to have a heck of a problem and so it just seems kind of curious that we almost never hear about rail and cybersecurity together like other than a, a high level threat like we've got to secure our rail system but you never hear about it being attacked which to me just seems curious other critical infrastructure we do hear
1: there are a few ways to think about it so Per your point, yeah, rail is being used also for military purposes, also for transporting nuclear materials. And there are some countries, by the way, that also try to evaluate scenarios of someone that is trying to attack trains and then making them stop at some point and then compromising something that is on the train. These are scenarios that were analyzed by different countries. uh, And I think it's for a reason. As per the question about what we hear and don't hear about rail. So I think, that, frankly speaking, we do hear. You don't see this shot of someone maybe that's now reporting that, I don't know, it's the movie scenes, fortunately we're not seeing them on the news, but what we do see, we see a major trend, by the way, also in the US, of government briefing rail companies on intelligence related to attacks on potential trains. And I think that if such intelligence exists, that's for a reason. And the rail CEOs were summoned to the White House for a secret briefing. Not sure what was discussed over there, but that was on the news. And before that, you had TSA releasing a security directive for trains, and it was quite fast. You've seen similar trends in other parts of the world, in Europe, in Asia as well. And the most important thing is we as an industry and work together on making sure these events will not happen and they will not need to reach the news. And hopefully you won't even hear about them uh, in the future so it will stay the same. That's that's our goal. All
2: right. Well, Mickey, we have come to the end of our uh, our time here. But before we let you go, we have a segment that we call Fun Facts in honor of our topic today, trains we're all going to try to have train fun facts. So what uh, what fun fact do you have to share with us?
1: Right. So I know that many people like to talk about animals as a fun fact. Uh, so I tried to combine both. Ooh. Uh, one of the things that I read in the past was that in Moscow, uh, actually dogs take the train independently. So you can find stray dogs that are Going from, from the suburbs, navigate subway system in Moscow, get to the center, grab some food somewhere, and then get back in the evening.
2: That is awesome. Yeah,
1: you just see how, how <laughs> smart they are.
2: Stray dogs navigate the public transit system to get food.
1: Right. And you can sit in a train and see a dog next to you without any owner, um, but that's okay. Like that's, that's common.
2: Wow. That's pretty cool. All right, Camille, what's your fun fact?
1: In
0: uh, Norway, in 2009, they started airing this program um, Minute for Minute, or Spannen. I don't know how to say that in Norwegian. But they basically put four different cameras on trains, and some were facing out and some facing in, and then they filmed and broadcast live. As trains crossed the country, all different seasons in Norway, so some of it was just great stretches and great expanses of snow and it would be like a seven hour long broadcast. It would be the whole you know a hundred and thirty four hour long broadcast of just you know the train and they moved it to ships later, and they had almost two hundred thousand people watching every episode on average and one out of every five people in the country of Norway has seen this show and watched the show. 20% of the population became very popular.
2: Cool, that's very cool. Okay, so my fun fact, Britain adopted a standardized time system in 1847, but it took about 40 more years for the United States to do the same thing. And we used to run a thing called Local Time And that could vary from town to town or even within cities themselves, which made things like scheduled departure time, arrival time, a huge problem for the rail system. So it turns out that major US railways, they met in October of 1883, and they proposed five time zones. And um, on November 18th, they uh, sent out a telegraph everybody set their clocks accordingly. And from that point forward, we've had standardized time across the US. So I thought it was pretty cool that it was the rail system that actually propagated the need for standardized time zones across the US. That's awesome. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us today. It was great talking about uh, the rail system and, and trains and security, and I found it very, very interesting. So thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much, Camille. Thank you very much, Tom. Great pleasure being here.
0: Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening.
2: The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.